0: Lord, we thank you. Holy, holy, holy. A preparation now, as we recognize that that of the things to come for eternity, of an adoration. This is above, above all things that we adore. And we pray that ease, ease, even as we continue in this service this morning, whether it's through communion or through your word, that it heightens that. that it brings it to the forefront of our minds that you're a God of worship in the core of our beings and that we adore you and we thank you for this time in jesus name amen amen thank you guys so we continue our series in acts and i know for some of you uh And we realize as a staff, when we say we're going to do a series on something, uh, you, sometimes we don't give an end date, sometimes we do. We did give one to this one, which was September 10th, but it's, we're only in Acts 14, so, and there's 28 chapters, so you see how we do this now, but we believe the Lord is going to allow us to continue that. We'll, we'll, you'll come in one Sunday, and we've stopped preaching on it, so there you go. So we'll just see what the Lord's up to in that. We'll be in Acts 14 today, and it's about a city. I'll give you a little backdrop before we read it. It's going to end up being in the city of Lystra. And it's a city that's now in modern-day Turkey. And At that time, it was a fortified uh, Roman outpost. It was about 18 miles south-southwest south, of Iconium, which may not mean anything to you, but it, but it is another place where Paul and Barnabas, we'll read today, was run out of. There was a lot of those places. I mean... Paul would show up, there wouldn't be a riot, but Paul showed up, there became a riot. Okay, That's kind of how he lived his life. And so he got run out of a, a lot of places. And one of the things about them, the Lysonians spoke in ethnic languages. And there was a very mixed ethnic group there in this town and in this city. But it was in contrast to more heavily populated along the Mediterranean coast, they had more or less got... Done away with their ethnic languages and moved more to Greek and had adopted what was really the, 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 uh, the speech of that time. And again, it was made up of, of, of mostly uh, ethnic groups, but they understood Greek the best we can understand. They still understood Greek because Paul's going to preach to them, as we'll see here in just a minute. And one little side note here, it may not have anything to do with the story today, but just a little side note: Lystra. Uh, it was the home of Timothy. And most likely, he and his mother were converted during the time of, of the story we're going to read about here today of Paul and Barnabas. Uh, and Timothy, uh, our understanding was from a mixed, uh, mixed racial uh, background with his dad being Greek and his mom Jewish, so it fit into that specific area. And as far as we know, and, and, and let's see in Acts at least, but as far as we know, this is the first time that Paul is going to preach the gospel to Really, an entirely pagan audience, even though there will be some Jews there, but not because they're there to listen, not because they're necessarily citizens, they're there for other reasons, as we will read. And there was not a synagogue, as best we can tell, there, and so most likely they preached outdoors, so it was a little different than what they had been doing. Usually they had met at the synagogue and would preach there. And the temple of Zeus was just outside the city, the best we can tell, and perhaps on the main road into the city. So Paul and Barnabas, as they were walking into the city, they walked by the temple of Zeus. But one of the things that would have given, obviously, Paul and Barnabas a heads up is, is that these folks had some kind of a religious something going on. They believed in a God. They believed in gods. They believed in something. So it wasn't just a atheistic. They wasn't just like they didn't believe in anything. They built a temple to, and we'll talk more about that, to Zeus, So you're walking into the situation, Paul's being heads up going, who am I going to talk to? Well, one of the things you realize real quick when you walk by that, these people, even though they may not have the background of many of the people I've been preaching to, they have an innate urge to worship. So with that said, let's read Acts chapter 14, uh, verses 1 through 20. And there's a lot of places we could go with this again today, like all the passages of Scripture we've been in in the book of Acts. And there's more to 14 that we could go on to, besides what I'm going to read. But we're going to see if we can camp out here today. At Iconium, Paul and Barnabas went as usual into the Jewish synagogues. There they spoke effectively with a great number of Jews and Greeks, and Greeks believed. But the Jews who refused to believe stirred up the other Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. So Paul and Barnabas spent considerable time there, speaking boldly for the Lord, who confirmed the message of his grace by enabling them to form signs and wonders. The people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews, others with the apostles. There was a plot afoot among both Gentiles and Jews together with their leaders to mistreat them and stone them. But they found out about it and fled to the Lysonian cities of Lystra and Derbe and to the surrounding country where they continued to preach the gospel. In Lystra, there sat a man who was lame. He had been that way from birth and never walked. He listened to Paul as he was speaking. Paul looked directly at him, saw that he had faith to be healed, and called out, Stand up to your feet. At that, the man jumped up and began to walk. Now, just to say this, Acts chapter 3, we see Peter doing almost the same thing, don't we? We see Peter coming into, into going to the synagogue or going to this, at the time of prayer like they normally do at 3 in the afternoon. And there was a crippled man there from birth. And ultimately what he says to, Peter says to that crippled man is, look at us. Not look at us, but look at us. And so it seems very similar to how God uses these miracles. So I just wanted to give you that kind of a backdrop and similarity there. But in verse 11, uh, so we'll continue there. When the crowd saw that Paul, what Paul had done, they shouted to the, in Lysonian language, the gods have come down to us in human form. Barnabas they called Zeus, and Paul they called Hermes because he was the chief speaker. The priest of Zeus, whose temple was just outside the city, brought bulls and wreaths to the city gates because he and the crowd wanted to offer sacrifices to them. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of this, they tore their clothes and rushed out into the crowd shouting, Friends, why are you doing this? We're only human like you. We're bringing you good news, telling you to turn from these worthless things to the living God who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. In the past, he let all nations go their own way, yet he has not left himself without testimony. He has not left himself without testimony. He has shown kindness by giving you rain from heaven and crops in their seasons. He provides you with plenty of food and fills your hearts with joy. Even with, this, even with these words, they had difficulty keeping the crowd from sacrificing to them. Then some Jews that came from Antioch and Iconium had won the crowd over. They stoned Paul and dragged him outside the city thinking he was dead. But after the disciples had gathered around him, he got up and went back to the city. The next day, he and Barnabas left for Derby. Everywhere Paul went, like I said, there seemed to be some kind of riot seemed to break out. There's mixed reviews even in this passage of Scripture about Paul, right? I mean, one moment they're what? Worshipping, and the next moment he's outside the city gate, and they're, and they're stoning him. And the, Paul, the word says here that Paul and Barnabas came to this crippled man, and again, he had never walked, he'd never been on his feet. Probably the people had been seeing him set wherever he was all of his life. It doesn't say exactly what his age is. So God used, he said, through through God's grace, he used Paul to heal the man's legs, and the crowd saw the man walking. But it had an undesirable effect. The crowd rushed Paul and Barnabas and wanted to worship them. See, unlike Peter in Jerusalem, Paul was in a pagan city. Pagan reasoning took over, right? Right? Only gods can do wonders, so Paul and Barnabas must be gods. These people were really unprepared to receive the gospel message. And I I think they were probably extremely sincere. And We'll talk about that in just a minute. They were probably extremely sincere because it's all they knew to do. Anytime they'd ever known about a god, what were they supposed to do? Sacrifice. So sometimes we see people who are far away from God come to know God, and they do things, and we go, why are they doing that? Well, they're only responding out of what they've already known, what lens they've been looking through up to that point. But what was interesting here, I thought, was was that Paul spoke in Greek, but the crowd spoke in their own language. So when they started chanting, and they started yelling, and they started rushing them, Paul and Barnabas didn't know what was going on. They, they, probably thought, they probably thought there was something pretty exciting happening that all these people had accepted the, the, the message of Christ. And man, man, they are pumped up and they are so excited, but that wasn't what was happening. The crowds probably swelled. Preparations happened. The, the, the priest of Zeus come into the town. They lay the wreath. They bring the oxen. Here it is. What's interesting is they didn't treat them like celebrity pastors. They didn't treat them like movie stars. They didn't treat them like pro athletes. They treated them like gods. They called them Zeus and Hermes. And Paul's called Hermes because I guess a common belief it says here that in the ancient world when two gods came to earth that the lesser one did all the talking. And so... Because Barnabas stayed quiet, Zeus was the greater God, so he would stay quiet, and the speaker would be Hermes, and so now that's the reason why it's called Paul and Barnabas are called these two names. That's just they kind of put that together. But how did Paul and Barnabas uh, respond to their acts of worship? Well, if they'd been today, there's a possibility they would have changed their handles to at real Zeus or at real Barnabas. Tweeted a little bit about the crowd size. (laughs) Yeah, that's not what happened. But what happens, I think, for humans in general, because of our hunger for approval, it takes an unbelievable amount of discipline to not begin to accept that worship. As small or as large as it may come. We see it, and I think it's always been around. It's been innate to our nature, our fallen nature, is to, is to when adulation, adulation's been given on it, to, it, is to receive it even more and almost hunger for it. And it's always been around, but today I think it's even at a, a heightened state because of likes and retweets. The need to be liked. We count them. How many likes? How many retweets? How many. I believe one of maybe one of the most significant hindrances to Christian witnessing today is our hunger for human approval. Because we will very rarely, if ever, want to speak the truth to people, because that may mean rejection. And when we kind of run from rejection, don't we? We hunger for acceptance, but we run from rejection. We're never going to ask people to repent of sin, because the last thing they want to know is that there is sin in their life. And we've said this many times here, if repentance is the only answer, another pill, another coach, another something, not going to help them. Jesus' first sermon, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Peter's first sermon, repent. But we, if we're not careful, we begin to take that out of our, out of our conversation. Why? Because we want to be liked. We're looking for Approval. The Parnabas, Par, <laughs> <Barnabas> and Paul, <Ball. laughs> Paul and Barnabas, I love what they do, they just ran, as soon as they figured it out, as soon as they find it out, what they did, they tear their tunics, they tear their clothes, which in that, it, in, in the ancient time was deep grief. It didn't just go, oh, whoa, whoa, whoa guys, it, it, y'all are getting a look. No, it, it grieved them at a deep level and they begin shouting we are humans just like you I think we have to be careful inside the kingdom at times when you see somebody maybe with a certain gift mix or somebody with a certain calling you begin to put them in certain places that you should never ever put them ever because they're humans just like you They have anxious thoughts. They have challenges. They have have those. You you move them to a place that God would never, even Jesus might not be able to live up to. Especially Paul and Barnabas. Jesus might have, I guess, but Paul and Barnabas said no. But apparently the apostle Paul had been liberated from the need to be liked. He had been liberated from the need to possibly be respected. Because as we read this story, Paul would rather be stoned than be worshiped. I'd rather die, Paul says, by his actions, not his words, his actions. I'd rather die than you worship me instead of worshiping him. I've said often here over the last year or so from i think it's francis chan said we have made because of celebrity pastors and different things and i'm not saying those pastors have allowed wanted themselves to be in this position i'm just saying it's happened we have a tendency to be real comfortable with moses but not real comfortable with an almighty god we want to be comfortable with god's messenger we just don't want to be we just don't want to have to sit down and sit at the foot of an almighty god we we are a culture of comfortable with moses Paul wasn't unfollowed on social media. (laughs) He wasn't ignored by his friends and his family as just a religious nut fanatic. He was literally taken outside of town and stoned simply for preaching the good news of the kingdom. And what must have been frustrating for Paul and all the apostles is that the people who should have known better The religious Jews were the ones stirring up the trouble. It wasn't the Gentiles for the most part. It was the people who knew better. Opposition from ignorance is one thing. You just didn't know. But opposition from those who know better is a whole different thing. And it's got to be disheartening. When Paul and, you know, they prayed for Israel. They prayed for their people. And it had to be so disheartening that, they would, that these Jews would follow them from town to town to poison their minds. Not just the other Jews. They're coming from town to town to poison the Gentiles' minds, who they didn't even care for. <laughs> but their hate for Paul and their hate for what was happening there was more important and their hate for these other people, to the Gentiles. I think this is a good rule, is to use wisdom and discernment. And, of course, I think all wisdom comes from God, and, and discernment comes from the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. But use wisdom and discernment when it comes to acceptance and rejection. Look at them both with wisdom and discernment. Use wisdom and discernment when it comes to followers and enemies. Balance them both out. When it comes to praise and criticism, use wisdom and discernment. And we look at these people, the pagans, if you will, And the definition of a pagan is, is someone who worships many gods or who worships nature and the earth. And the difference between preaching to the Jews, who obviously were religious, and preaching to the pag- pagans was significant. In the synagogue, they taught of the revelation of God in the Old Testament and preached Christ and Him crucified and Him resurrected. You go back and look at Peter's messages. I mean he's 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 going right he said you you've and Paul too you've known about this you've known about this You have the roadmap you have the signpost you have the truth you are the chosen people but you choose to ignore but Paul knew coming to To this group of people, that even teaching about the law, even though the law gives us direction, it's grace that draws us. He knew that he was going to have to teach to these people about the grace of God, to love them and to preach to them and to reach them in a different way than just giving them the history of the Jewish people, which made no sense to them. The crowd's response to his message, or especially, don't even know if he heard. They heard the message. They just saw the miracle. Illustrate, illustrates the process, the, the, one of the biggest challenges or problems of communicating with people with a non Christian background. Because unless the Holy Spirit ultimately opens up their hearts and minds to receive and understand the gospel message as true. Because really, miracles are to point to Jesus. Miracles are not miracles just in themselves. Miracles are miracles to point to the Word, to the truth, which is Jesus. So unless the Holy Spirit is working them to begin to interpret that for them, they will continue to interpret, interpret all that they see through what they know. But what I love about what Paul did here, he tells them in the past, guys, God has let all the nations go their own way. Yet he has not left himself without testimony. God has not left himself without testimony. Paul preached the living God, not the god of vanity, not the god who is lifeless, not the god who are useless. I mean, it made sense to them, and it should make sense to us. I think, especially as Christians, because we believe in the creation of God, that there is a there is a Creator. It made sense that human beings, the people of Lystra, would semi attempt to fill that void that's been innate to them from day one to worship something. I mean, look over the history of the world; people wanting to worship. And I'll say this: just you go, you go. Well, well, wow, that doesn't mean that there is a God. I, you're right, just because I have hunger doesn't mean there's food but it's a pretty good sign there probably is food because I have a, a, a innate hunger for food so when people have a hunger to worship something to worship a God, there's a pretty good sign that there is a God And pagan, God had not left the pagans in the dark all these years there was always the light of nature. The miracle of earth's rich abundance. The reliability of the seasons pointing to purposeful and a benevolent God. It may not be much light, but light nonetheless, which ultimately leads to the knowledge of God's power and sovereignty. Romans 1, Paul writes in Romans 1, 18 through 21. It said the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godliness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth this is what I, I picture when I think of suppress, it's like something's trying to bubble up and you keep standing on it. It tries to bubble up, you you jump back on it. It tries to bubble up, you suppress it. Suppress, suppress, suppress. So God's truth is trying to bubble up because it's an aid to us to, to follow after it, I think. But we, by our wickedness, what? Suppress it. By our fallen nature, we keep it pushed down. The wellspring of life that Jesus talks about. He's wanting to bubble up from within you. And you suppress it. Okay, let me finish it. <laughs> since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power, and divine nature, sovereign nature, have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. For although they knew God, they never glorified Him as God, nor thanked Him, or gave thanks to Him. But their thinking became futile, and their foolish hearts were darkened. You know, we look at idolatry. And we look at these pagans. And idolatry is a The obvious in in nature is worship. That's the reason why you do it. Idolatry means that you're going to worship something. And it could be the worship of the sun. It could be the worship of the moon, the stars. The powers of nature like Zeus and Hermes. Or image worship. Or to a created object. We, we look at that, and, and many of us in this room, because we have some context of maybe even Christianity, maybe, we look at that idol worship we, we, in, in that sense going, that's kind of stupid, that's silly. Why would you look and begin to worship a, 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 a rock or worship a tree or worship a... But I don't think it's so strange to us as we think it is. Some of you, I would guess in this room, have been sacrificing yourself at the foot of an idol a long time. And it's killing you. Because anything you filter your life through first before God, your career, a sport, and that doesn't mean if you're a kid it could be another sport once you're older. You want to do that first. You filter things through that. How am I going to get to do that? your pursuit of you just fill in the blank it could be a a project it could be retirement it could be a status or image yeah idol worship is not strange to us after all it's a lens you look through first it could be politics it could be a lifestyle for instance, we become so programmed that no matter what a person or a religion or an organization or an ideology says, we are committed to defend it, even many times in our gut or our soul, we know it's not right. You're so committed to that, and you know it's not right, but you'll go ahead and defend it anyway. And you know it. You know it at your core. You know it at your soul level. You know that you disagree. Or at least have a deep pause in that moment. But you're afraid to disagree due to the possibility of disturbance of your social group or family. Would you rather hold a concept as an idol or follow after God? And for some of you today, Me mentioning this or preaching about this is not the first time in recent days you have thought about this. The Pagans had a little bit of an excuse of why they worshipped idols. Because they had not heard about Jesus. But where are we? Why are we there? And here's the deal. The pagans, in other words, those without previous knowledge, were going to need more than accepting Christ. Now understand what I mean by that. It is we know that accepting Christ transforms, changes us, moves us forward. But they were going to need more than just simply that. And And again, I am not minimizing when I say simply here who Christ is. Some of you come to Christ and you already have enough knowledge. You may have more knowledge than some people who have been in church a long time about who Christ is because you've heard enough stories, you've been exposed to enough. These people have nothing. The nuns, two generations away from being, being a part of a church, the nuns. Lifestyles that would you would go, I, I will never talk to them. People far away from God with no knowledge. It's going to take more time. It's going to get messy. It's going to make, take more detail into teaching and going to this. You can't just go, okay, everybody just do this Bible study. No, we got to get down into the into, into into the into the weeds. They're going to have to break idolers' habits. Can you imagine if you're in Lystra? If you're a Lystra, I've said it like three or four different ways here this morning. Uh, but but that's like me saying Joel's name all ago. It, it sounds nothing like it's supposed to. But Sarah's did it right. My accent gets me in trouble too. So, but my point is this. These folks who are coming to Christ here, they're going to need so much community because when they break these idolatrous, idolatrous, you know what I mean. (laughs) Customs. Many of them are like, many of them are family customs. They may be the only believer in their family. And if we as a church can't come around them, it's the reason why it's just easier to lead people who already know enough about Jesus and their family kind of already knows enough about Jesus. Let's do that. But, but if we get into pagans who, who don't know anything, they've got to have community. Because one of the things their life is going to do, if you're not careful, that just go out. One of the things your life is going to happen when you come to know the Lord is it now, because you're following after Jesus. What's going to happen is people are going to be those are around your circle, your your group. If you're not careful, they're going to begin to look at their life in reflection of what you're trying to do, and they may see that as you judging them. All you want to do is give them grace. Now you want to do is the love of Christ to come flowing out of you, but the word says, to some it's going to be the fragrance of life, to others, it's the fragrance of death. That's the reason why the body's so critical, especially if we're going to reach people far away from God, who have no knowledge, because where are they going to hang out? Where are they going to go? But we're too afraid to get connected to. Them. we're afraid, to, at times, if we're not careful, we're too afraid. I remember when I gave my life to Christ in '86, and then '80. many of the guys knew me there at Alumax, the aluminum mill I was working at. Had been there about six months, and I was the cussing this, drinking Just you, you, you know, I, I would throw fits. I had a real major anger issue uh, for whatever reason. Maybe it's because I was married to Jan. I don't know if that's what caused it. I didn't have it before. That is not true. She is. It, she, it is through her. It is through our marriage and the birth of our child. Obviously, the Lord used that, and she was an unbelievable witness to me way before I was a Christian. I'm messing with you on that. But, but I did. I had an anger, unbelievable anger issue, and throw fits at church. I mean, church, not church. I would not go to church. At Alumax. But when I came to know the Lord, it's, I'm in a group of guys who nobody was a Christian. And at first, it was weird, because I was the fanatic. I didn't go to the state baseball, the softball tournament. I played shortstop for them. You know, go to Little Rock. I didn't go because we were having a, uh, what was it called, Jan? Uh, lay renewal weekend at, at our Baptist church. So I said, I can't go, guys. I'm doing it. They thought, you, you're weird, man. What's happened to you? But before I left there, and I told somebody the other day, I still miss it. I stayed there another five and a half years. And God gave me a ministry there to this day like none I've never had to lead people to Christ, to be the pastor of the hot meal. in <laughs> the little building I ran my machine out of the scalper, the, m- the building I ran it out of was called a pulpit, <laughs> of all things. Hot meal had the same thing called a pulpit, but I had my little scalper pulpit. But I remember the hardest one for me was, was my brother. My brother's six years older than me, sitting out on his deck there in Wake Village, Texas, after I'd come to know Christ. And Mike was uh, heavy drinker a lot of different things but I loved him to death and he's wanted to introduce me to alcohol to be honest with you and used to buy it for me when I was 16 and 15 and he was 21, 22 and uh but awesome guy in so many ways. But that I remember sitting down that, on that deck and man, my heart was pumping. Man, it was just pumping out of my chest. I'm going, I got to talk to him about Jesus. I got to talk to him about Jesus. It was like, I was like freaking out. I'm 30, no, no 27 years old and I'm, I'd never been that nervous in my life. I wouldn't even call to preach at that point, I don't think. It was just, I would, and I remember him, and I told him what had happened in my life and I just remember him saying to me, little brother, that's good for you. That's good for you. Glad you did that. That's not for me. But he didn't know. We were going to send the hound of heaven after him. <laughs> and about a decade later, I don't know what it was. He came to know Christ in a wonderful way. And, and I think he's on the board of the Nazarene Church in Canada now. But, but my point is this. When we come to Christ, especially when we have no support system, whether it's at work or our recreation or social or especially in our family, this body plays such an unbelievable role. But Paul knew who he was speaking to. That's the reason why we're at renovation. We're looking at, when we talk about the five C's, I don't have it up there today, but we've talk about we've got to talk to people for, who've never even heard about God, who's ignorant from him, to those who just want to live and go behind the enemy line somewhere and just go, teach me to do that. So we're, we believe we've got to minister to everybody. A place where answers can be given the best we know how, through the power of the Spirit to transform their lives. So that's why we're trying to do what we do. But Paul knew, man. I can't preach to them about the Old Testament and Jesus, Jesus crucified and resurrected the same way I did to the Jews. just can't. Here's the deal I would say that I've convinced of over all these years. You can't walk away if you're living into the fragrance and aroma of Christ. If you're really your life will either be a fragrance of life and I wish I had it in Corinthians or the aroma of death. Because people can't walk away when the Holy Spirit is right, I believe living and thriving in a person's life. They can't walk away from it neutral. You don't get to walk away from the kingdom, the crucifixion, the resurrection neutral. It's not an option. You think it is, but it's not. I'm to him to come. We're going to close the day with communion. Another way that to be able to celebrate today especially as believers, to come and around the table here this morning. If you're here for the first time, the way we do this, and I just want to make sure logistically you understand what we're trying to do, if you want to partake of it, is we come down. Normally the aisle's here. You'd go to that aisle and that aisle. Those folks would come here, come down, and return back down the middle, and then go back to your seat. But you take the bread and dip it in the cup. Of the juice and take of it here, or you can take it back with you. Either way, whatever you're comfortable with. But we just love to be a part of that. But Jesus, on the night He is betrayed, again worship one moment, deny another moment. Worship one moment, crucify Him the next moment. Jesus knew what Paul was dealing with. Jesus knows that if you're going to live this out, it'll be both. But his grace is sufficient for us to live this out. His power living through you is enough. He would rather be stoned than worshipped. Would you stand? Pray for us and then you come as you feel led this morning. Lord, we thank you for the time of coming around the table is the example you set for us on the night you were betrayed. You told your disciples a lot of things that night, but one Lord, when we do when they do this, and they had no idea that centuries later we would be following this. But when you do this, when you take of the bread, when you look at the cup, remember my body, remember the blood, even though any we know in that moment they still didn't have context. You spoke over them as they would and they ultimately did. Today, Lord, we come in context of individual lives. Those who are far away from you, maybe in this room, who those who are crying out to you in all things, who want to live at the highest possible level, if that's the right word, Lord, with you. And, Lord, it's just a bunch in between. Standing on that, straddling that fence, Lord, Lord, I pray as they remember back, right now, right now, in Your name, Jesus, remember what You have done for us, and then to give thanks. We do this today, other day, Lord, from our children to elderly, Lord. We're one body, we're one purpose, to glorify You and to love our neighbors, ourselves. Thank You, Lord for this time